I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Tash is a self-work facilitator, introspective coach, and writer that has been helping women grow, love, heal, and be heard for over eight years. Her workshops are not for the faint at heart. They're for those feeling out of touch with themselves and their values. Those that may have been wounded in a relationship with parents and or partners, and for those that are simply feeling stuck or out of place in their present life. Tash is the light touch needed to help inspire you to begin seeking guidance and taking action in various areas of your life. Tash is the founder of Broken Heels, a space for Black women to grow, love, heal, feel, and be heard. This is a space where Black women can feel deeply, be soft, experience, and receive vulnerability, and take off their capes. Please welcome to the show, Natasha Helwig. (laughs) Thank you. I was like, ooh, bios. Okay, bios. (laughs) I know it's always weird when we hear someone like reading our bio or edifying us and we're kind of like, oh, okay. (laughs) Exactly. I get it. I get it. But thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story and your healing journey with us. I never take it lightly when someone is open to being vulnerable and sharing their ups and downs, their adversities, their struggles, and even their tools and wisdom to help the community. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm so excited to chat with you and to learn more. And it's been a minute since I've shared a story about healing. I feel like it's been a lot of like being in the work versus like the transparency or cultivating that community that comes with sharing the work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I hear you. Um, I interviewed someone recently who pretty much said the same thing, where majority of her business for the last couple of years has been focused on helping others to share their story and to do the work. And she's just now at a place where she's 
I'm going to say getting comfortable with being mm-hmm. more transparent about her story and seeing how much that has actually helped within right. her community. Right. When I started Broken Heels, it was the premise was about sharing stories. But I just remember that I started it as like a blog online and I wouldn't I didn't put my face. I was very like, okay, if I put my face, I don't want it to be. And it's crazy. This is like 12 years ago. It was like, I don't want it to be like a black or brown thing. I want it to be for all women, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and women would like write in their abuse stories. And then it over time began to transform into this coaching business, so to speak. And um, I made a, I just, I actively made a decision in 2020 to, to like put my face out there more. And, but I still was toying with like who I'd want to serve. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it just happened naturally that I found that as Brown and black women, we, we don't necessarily have those safer, brave spaces to share um, like our heartbreak and abuse or anything, um, you know, that we can't wrap up tightly in a <laughs> in a, mm-hmm. a box with a bow on it. And so um, I've been grateful that, that this is a community that's cultivated around me naturally. But there still is a lot of like hesitancy, especially amongst us as as Black women to to share and to get vulnerable. We're always still kind of looking over our shoulder like, mm-hmm. you know, who do they know? What do they know about me? Are they going to judge me? Um, so it it has taken quite a bit of work to like, you know, gain that trust and vulnerability in spaces with women. And, um, and then you forget about yourself. Like you, you, you spend so much time pouring in that you forget about like what you need as well. Mm-hmm. I can completely agree with you in terms of the, I guess, hesitation for women of color to be as vulnerable. We've been conditioned within society to put up that strong black woman or, you know, resilient woman of color, whatever the titles that they've put out there. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like for years, we felt like we had to keep that up, but it was our trauma responses, why we were even, um, you know, showing that type of persona. And now that a lot of us are not only just doing the deep work, but being open about the deep work. There's this huge thing now about the soft life and, um, yeah. you know, people are now adapting to, like, yeah, we can be soft too. We can yeah. be vulnerable too. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's true. But isn't it crazy sometimes that even in the portrayal of the soft life, there's a little bit of performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. this like I not that you know I I'd like to be a fly on the wall for many of the brands that are promoting the soft life because I don't think the hustle and uh, necessarily is part of that yeah. but um and I think even just defining what it means to be soft is going to be really necessary for for us as a community I really love the nap ministry and her brand and how she speaks to rest. Um, if you follow them or they're on Instagram, but just how she speaks to rest and what, and that rest in itself is, is um, rebellious and resilient for us as women of color or people of color. Um, and so I would, I, what I fear is that the soft life ends up looking more like the luxury and the material success than mm-hmm. the actual, like, inner and eternal success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of 
well, culture in itself has conditioned us to look at the superficial mm-hmm. and to look at the accolades or the success or all of those things. And like you said, maybe maybe 2020 was the year where, you know, a lot of people got hit with these revelations. But I think that for myself was the same year where I had that transition where I was like, I don't value those things. What I value is peace. What I value is love. What I value is connection. Mm-hmm. And it may not look like on social media what everyone else is chasing, but I'm okay with that. You know, right. so I started turning down the acceptances to all these rewards that required the popularity contest and the nominations. And it's like, I appreciate the email. I appreciate the consideration, but that doesn't align with what I'm after right now, right. which is right. right. You know what? I'll full transparency moment. I think I'm going through that right now. I think I could say confidently leading up to, well, through this brand and business that I have, like right up till 2020, it was very focused on impact and healing. And I, I never considered numbers and metrics and how to like build a business and all of that stuff. Um, and when I hired my first business coach, I had to, you know, turn my mind, like go in that direction. What I realized, well, to be honest, I didn't realize till maybe like a month ago was um, how much I left that part of me that desires the impact. It would pop in it here and there, like through 2021 and earlier this year, I'd have those moments where I was like, man, like I'm so focused on how much money I got to make that I'm forgetting about the women I'm trying to serve in the sense of um, it's not about like how many women you go after. It's about the quality of the work and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Then in December, at the end of the year, I had I sort of like this spiritual wake up that was just like, I don't want to be doing this in the way I'm doing this anymore. I love like I'm sitting with the question that you didn't pose, but I found in what you just said, which was like, what are your values and how do you want those values to show up? Because I'm pretty much asking myself, like, how much do I love the the work I'm doing and what I'm providing and and is it about the impact or is, has it been about the income and which one serves me? Because again, like that, the superficiality and the Instagram and all of that stuff, it gets in your head. Mm-hmm. Like, and also when you're on like a, like speaking to a healing journey, it becomes really confusing and really easy to lose yourself because you're looking at Instagram and even with healing, like people are on Instagram, everyone's sharing like, all aspects of their journey, what you know, their journeys, or people are talking about boundaries, and some people are not giving the best information. Some people are actually sharing information that could be more det- detrimental to your process. We're learning all this new language and new words, and we're labeling people, and then we're seeing soft life, and it looks like trips and handbags and all of that, <laughs> you know, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And then you lose yourself, like you just completely lose like how you want to walk in this world. And when I, if I meditate, when I meditate, I see myself barefoot on a beach and it has nothing to do with the clothes I'm wearing. It has everything to do with just the joy and peace that I'm feeling and, and the freedom that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think the part that gets confusing is we start building something or chasing something that we think resonates through material success, but it doesn't align with your values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Great, great point. You know, when you talked about when you got the business coach and I guess you felt disconnected from the impact that you wanted to make, 
I think one thing that my mentor like drilled into our head was that money is a reward for service. Mm. So our focus should always be on the service and the money will come. And the more that you serve, the more that you, I guess, help others and focus on servant leadership, Mm -hmm. then your income will multiply. So rather than us looking at, okay, how can we make six figures? It's how can we help six people make, you know what I mean? So it helped, it helped me maintain my love for the impact, but then to monetize at the same time. And I guess he also taught us that like money is a tool not only to make your life more comfortable, but to be more of service. You know, we can't do all this give back work and this philanthropy work with no money, right? Right. So if we are increasing our income, let's not only be driven by the money and focus on what it can do for ourselves and be selfish and ego-driven, but how can we also utilize a percentage of that, do more work and greater impact and greater service? Right. Um, which is what helped me balance, I guess, my view of it all. Right, right. But I also love that you spoke to the values because I think oftentimes people will look at social media, like you said, and look at what other people are posting mm-hmm. and they will compare themselves or judge based on that highlight reel of what that person has put out there. But we have to remember that social media is a form of media. It's right. It's actually, right? <laughs> exactly. And advertising is meant to feed into your lack. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that you said like the, you touched on the ego because that's just what it is. It's like the lack is our ego, that fear is our ego, like mm-hmm. all, all of that. And so um, the getting back to the impact and, and the love and our why uh, I think also that big trust and that you're going to be taken care of because social media and that lack feeling it's moving so fast and you feel like you're seeing people get things at a faster rate than you are that you, it can toy with your faith as well. And that reminder that no, you will be taken care of. It'll be in, in God's time and your own journey and timeline versus this other person's and just though it takes a lot of like there there has to be systems in place for ourselves individually you know the healing isn't just like the books we read and the therapy we go to it's like how are we protecting ourselves and our energy and our peace mm-hmm. to self-preservation self-preservation <laughs> but then i i think i'm i'm saying this in real time it's like i'm unpacking it but i think um as business owners too where a lot of our business is built on the social media is learning that the balance of that. So it's like, I'm just going to tap and do what I have to do, come off all in and all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I, I already know, I, I said this in the beginning that our conversation is going to be so easy because we're going to have so many things that we can connect on that I totally forgot. Like uh, before we got into, you know, where you are <laughs> presently, <laughs> I want to get back to what we're talking about, but I want to, get a glimpse of who Mm -hmm. Natasha was. What were you like as a teenager and who did you want to be then? Ooh, okay. What was I like as a teenager? I was a follower. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think think leadership was in me, but there was still very much the the acceptance piece and the approval piece. I was very rebellious for about was that grade 10 and in grade 11 years, I was quite rebellious. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And 
I think, believe I stuffed down a lot of pain. I think I had a lot of pain from like how I grew up, but I didn't, I didn't understand it. I also think just from like, as a, from a little kid straight till now, there was always um, this sort of esoteric, deeper part of me that existed, but no one showed me how to like cultivate that. So I, my sense was like, okay, let me like read my Bible. So anytime there was like a, an extreme chaotic moment that I caused <laughs> in life, mm-hmm. I would like lean on my Bible or pray to God. And then, but that was like this hidden side of me that I didn't show anyone. And then I would go back to school and follow around the boyfriend I had or follow around the friends and not go to class and and all that stuff. But I think like who I wanted to be, because there were bouts and moments where I'd be like, guys, like we should start this business or be a promoter or do make t-shirts and like all this stuff. And like, so I always had these creative ideas. And um, so I think who I wanted to be was someone who could tap into that creativity lead. I I definitely know if I'd had the right tools, I I more than likely would have been like a young entrepreneur but unfortunately, like the doubt and the need need for approval overshadowed any of that. And then again, like in the type of home I grew up in, having creative, creative ideas weren't always like supported. Um, it was very like, go to school, conduct yourself a certain way, pick up the book, be a lawyer, doctor, teacher. Actually, they didn't even want me to be a teacher, which was what I had wanted to be. <laughs> um, it was just like lawyer, doctor. And... So if I wanted to like express myself or have a voice, it felt like it was stifled down. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I don't think I knew that because there was this rebellious side, I don't think that I knew that I struggled to speak up for myself. I was just rebelling, but I wasn't expressing what was like, what was upsetting me, what was hurting me or what I needed. I was never expressing what I needed. I was just deciding I'm going to take it. And by taking it, it looked like effing off at school and spending time with a man and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us, even those of us that don't want to admit it because it's not a a capital T, but a lot of us have, you know, childhood traumas or Mm -hmm. um, childhood wounds that went unhealed or unaddressed. And then we end up you know, with these trauma responses as adults, um, even as teenagers rebelling and, and doing things that our, our parents didn't understand. But I also think, um, you know, you mentioned that your parents wanted you be wanted you to be like a lawyer or a doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make the assumption, are you first generation Canadian? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> typically, when we are, no matter what background we've come from, when we're like first generation Canadian, American, what have you, our parents have this idea of success. Right? Yeah. of the professions that they think are successful and they try to push that onto their kids. Right. I, I would love to know, like now that you are focused on healing and wellness and you didn't become the doctor or lawyer, how did your parents feel about that? I think, well, one, I don't think they know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, two, I, I see a sense of pride in them because Irregardless of if they know what I would do, they see that I try, they see that I maintain my own place, all of that. So I spent, I think it's quite common as Torontonians, like we, we stay at home longer than I would say, you know, Americans, like we're not necessarily, you know, asked to leave the home 
at the college age. So I was home till about 28, 29, trying to figure things out. I think from like birth to 29, they did not see me. They did not understand. They were just like, okay, she's working. She goes out. They didn't know what, there was definitely still conflict. The minute I left and they got first got used to the idea of me leaving, because I also think there's like some codependency there between mm-hmm. like parent and child. Once they got used to the idea of me leaving and they saw the traveling and they saw some of the projects I did and then they got wind of my personal story with abuse and relationships and and then they seen they've seen single Natasha like not in any relationships and just doing her thing and and even now like I'm much more transparent now about like my journey and w- where it's tough and what's working and what's not working um and like for christmas just now they both gave me christmas cards that that said similar lines of like me chasing my dreams. So in their, they're much older, they're in their seventies and they're Jamaican. And so in their own way, they're trying to show that they like understand, mm-hmm. um, although it's unconventional. Right. And what's interesting is like, I grew up for so many years thinking it's my dad who wasn't open and wouldn't understand because he's always been so quiet and in ways shy And my mom is like the loud, boisterous personality. And so her and I definitely butt heads more. But I I felt that I'm a little bit more comfort in sharing things, even if she doesn't agree. Mm -hmm. But what I've seen in the last three years is when I've had one-on-one moments with my dad, he's way, he's much more open and receiving. And he's, he wants me to take risk where my mom is still holding on to me. She's Mm -hmm. still like, I don't want my daughter to go anywhere. That same level of codependency, like that fear of the cord being cut. So if I share something that's like, I'm going to leave and go move somewhere. She's like, no, 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 like (laughs) go for it. Like do what you want to do. And so they may not fully, uh, and they also recognize, especially because of COVID that like the way of work has changed. I think the one thing that hasn't left them is the go get a pension. <laughs> that <hasn't> <laughs> Everything's about this pension, but it's because that was their time. Like right. every job had a pension. Now, like it's you're hard pressed to find work companies that are going to offer a pension unless it's government run. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to get them on board with understanding that as like an entrepreneur or self-employed person, I can put things in place that provide me the same security because ultimately it's security that is yeah. their fear. Yeah. And so I think what they've seen in the last 10 years is, oh shit, she's figured it out. Like she has security. She's managed. She's never asked us for anything and look how much she's done. Even if they don't know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. they just know I'm on Zoom all day. That's all they know. <laughs> you have a Zoom call? All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that you pointed that like they don't they don't necessarily know what you do, but they've also come to that place of accepting and supporting. And I think um, what you said about that security piece, I think for a lot of us who are first generation Canadians, because our parents, when they came here, they came for security, they came for, you know, stability, all those things. They just wanted that for us. And because of in their minds, how they see that come about or their knowledge of how that is possible. 
They may seem a little resistant sometimes to our journey, but it's just really showing them what is possible. Right, Um, right. My mom made a comment because the 2022 is the first year where I really didn't have I've I've always I've been in this work, but I've I've also done startup consulting. And so I've I've generally had one or two contracts where you had your set pay. Mm-hmm. And this was the first year where I haven't had that. But I've taken different risks to network or go to events and they've landed me small contract jobs. And so I was explaining that to her on a call and then she said, this Jamaican parable. She's like, one, one cocoa, make basket. And, she's like, oh. and I was like, what? And she's always dropping these, but I was like, what? And she's like, she grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, which is interesting. Like her parents are, all my uncles are entrepreneurs, but she understands it from that sense of in Jamaica where they may raise some farm animals and they're, and then they have like some garden of vegetables they're selling and then they've got trucks that they run on the road so it's all these different things so when she I I guess took that idea and said okay Natasha is facilitating here and she has some coaching clients here and um she's speaking on this thing those are my like one one cocos feeling about (laughs) Uh, and that's how she understood it as as okay you're all of these things will come together and take care of you and so but that it took like 10 years for her to get to that that perspective because they are used to the hourly rate uh, wage and the paycheck coming weekly or biweekly and you pay into your pension and, you know, all of that, yeah. all of that stuff. So I think where I could imagine it would shift again if there were ever a point where I was struggled and I had to go to them, which to be strict, honest, my pride would struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be the moment that all their radars would go off and they would be like, no, you need a job. Like you, you would just like, it, it, they wouldn't, the risk for them wouldn't be worth. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I think the beauty for you is knowing your purpose, knowing your why, so that yeah. you are driven, you know, to make things work because if you weren't and your parents saw you struggling, like you said, they wouldn't believe in what it is that you're doing, but because you're showing them that you can sustain yourself and that you're providing a living for yourself and you're, um, you know, contributing to this world, they may not fully understand, but they are accepting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like behind my back, they tell people I'm a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) feeling they're telling people I'm like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in in a sense, I mean, it's not traditional therapy, yeah. but it is it is still helping people to heal, right? Because right. I I have maybe it was in probably 2020 when I said this to myself, like I I believe my purpose is to help people heal. Right. It may not be a traditional therapist, and I find sometimes we're able to make more money than a therapist. Um, but it's it's the the same purpose, the same intention to help people to heal. Right. So whatever title they want to give it is on them. But you know what you do. Right? Yeah, it's true. I think um, I know for sure that I'm a starter. So I used to really struggle in the beginning with the healing process, and I feel that you might be able to relate, at least until you get to the point of seeing the separation. But like. 
I would, it's almost like I would give people ideas and tools. We go through this process, but then if they walked away from the process or they gave up or they didn't do the work, I I felt like I was so emotionally involved in that. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, what did I do wrong? Like, how come I didn't help them? Whatever. And then I learned like where I'm best is in helping you get started. Mm-hmm. And and so um, it's why I say I'm like the light touch or I'm that starting point. And so I take it as a compliment when someone's with me for a while and then they say, all right, like I'm ready to go to therapy or I'm ready to try this new thing. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I help you get to that point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So speaking of get to this point, we totally skipped over, I guess, give us the Coles Notes version of your story, how you got from that rebellious teenager to where you are presently. (laughs) Okay. Um, Just before rebellious teenager, I grew up in a home with two insecure parents. That's the best way to put it. They, if I don't know if you've heard the, the term twin flames. Yeah. I believe my parents are twin flames. Um, There's a lot of love and intensity and probably like sexiness between them. (laughs) They both look like two sexy people um, in their (laughs) younger days. But uh, I think that they were meant to show each other what wounds probably needed healing and what things they should work on. But they did not have the access or knowledge of that. And so they they tumbled chaotically through building a relationship and because of tradition and they both come from homes where their parents are still together, regardless of infidelity and unforgiveness and stuff. So they, to this day are still together. But um, the truth is as much of my entire life living in the home with them, they were completely toxic. They were a complete toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so at like a very young age, I just knew more things than any like four-year-old should know. And they say like kids are narcissistic in the sense that when we see our parents unhappy, we think it's because of us. When we see them happy, we think it's because of us. Mm -hmm. But my earliest memories are of feeling like I caused them unhappiness. And, um, and then that in a weird way, when I moved out was like, when I saw them get lighter and begin to have to deal with each other and, and they have like a working sense of a relationship. They're laughing now. They watch TV together now and stuff. Um, and now it's there in their seventies and it could just be time. But what happened was in me moving out, it affirmed that I was the cause of why they've been unhappy all these years, even though I'm moving out at like, I moved out at like 28, 29. Then they spent like two or three years figuring each other out because they only have each other. There's no um, focus on me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it planted the seed like, Oh shit. Like I really was the, the problem, but growing up with just knowing too much, being in that sort of energy in the house, then rebelling, wanting to do my own thing as a teenager, Um, I think I found solace in men and in relationships. So I always had passion and purpose, but would be distracted by relationships. And so my, after like the high school relationship, I ended up dating someone at 19 turning 20 who um, it was short lived, but he was older than me. And then at the, he had insecurities, felt I cheated on him and beat me up 
at the, mm -hmm. like our last interaction was him being abusive. Didn't, I didn't deal with it. I went straight back to university the next day wow. and like cut up and all the things. And then come like rolled over into another relationship and another relationship. So the next three relations, like, so it was him and then two others that followed were all physically abusive. Wow. So I'm sorry from, I had to experience that. I mean, I feel that I don't feel sorry <laughs> it, because I think it as chaotic as it is. And I'm sure that I, you know, if I'd made different choices, I probably would still end up with my purpose now, but in the chaos, I could find purpose. Right. So I think there's a, I've been able to like reconcile it in that way, but those five years. So from 20 to 25 is in these physically abusive relationships no one was talking about healing in that was what was that 2010 20 2008 2009 uh there was no instagram there wasn't any of that um i was looking around to my friends and people around me looking to like at this point you're in that victim stage you want to just talk about what happened i just want to share what happened what happened and you the looks looking back at you are kind of blank stares there's they don't relate to what you're mm -hmm. experiencing so i found a life coach who he didn't unpack the abuse or childhood trauma or any of that stuff with me but he helped me get my mind clear and my confidence up enough to make an action plan for my life so we spent 3 months creating an action plan of like what am i going to do what do I see myself doing? And it was so different than this. When I think about this, like at that time I told, I was into fashion and through that action plan, I got into the fashion Institute of the, like FIDM in LA. And I was about to like run off to LA, but then I found myself in another relationship. <laughs> it wasn't physically abusive. It was tumultuous I'm not going to put any labels on him, but there was narcissistic traits. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of cheating. And so, and I was in that relationship for five, five-ish years. I didn't go to LA, but I, um, I, in ways where it was bad, there was some good. He was an entrepreneur. He inspired me to start Broken Heels by, you know, you know, who you spend your time with, you pick up their traits. So I seen that there wasn't much risk. He wasn't showing me evidence of much risk in starting your own brand at that time or trying new things. And so I started Broken Heels looking for community around this abuse story while being in another toxic relationship. Wow. <laughs> and um, finally left that when I hit the same 20, I moved out of that. My parents, I ended that relationship with him. And then I spent the next six plus years single. Um, dated here and there, but nothing committed, nothing serious. Spent a lot of time focused on my own healing, traveled a lot, transformed the brand into coaching, spent time with God, really was in flow and present state. And then I did at one point, I think 2018, I was like, I should try to be in a relationship, but it was very like goal oriented. Like, okay, you've done all this healing on your own. Like you got to like be with someone to see what else you need to heal. And <laughs> I tried that for like two months. Like it mashed up in like two months. <laughs> the relationship was not that I clearly didn't have views discernment on who I was choosing. I just ran with one of the people that was in my life. and. 
it it might have been like two months, but it was a lesson that I was re- I was willing and ready to commit because I had a lot of fear around commitment mm-hmm. out of you. So it was like I spent all these years jumping and running into relationships. And then when the final one happened, it changed something in my subconscious that made me feel like, no, like you can't trust people. You, the first year is always the honeymoon with that second year that, you know, something terrible could happen. And, and what terrible looked like for me was physical abuse and disloyalty, cheating, lies, like all this stuff. So I would, you know, if I did meet people through those six years of being single, I, I, it wasn't, I wouldn't go deep. Mm-hmm. It was just dating. We'd stay in that little honeymoon phase for a little bit. I wasn't ready to like, they would, every person I met, which was about, it was about in those six years, three. And those three men said to me, they felt like I had one foot in and one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't giving committed energy. <laughs> I wasn't dating. It. Um, and then pandemic happened. And I was also, I would say from 2018, what ha- what also shifted for me was, it wasn't conscious, but when it came to men, I found that I wanted to spend a lot of time getting to know you as a friend. So I approached anybody I met from a friend standpoint. And if they were willing to ride out however long that might take for me to feel close to you intimately, I think I, again, subconsciously thought, okay, they would be the person I'd lean into. Many people don't have that. Like many, mm-hmm. you know, after like three to six months, if, if they're not seeing some intimacy happening, like physical intimacy happening, they, they weren't, it would just kind of fade away. But then my current relationship and partner now, he and I met in 2019. And I would say that we, it's funny because we built out a friendship that was about like a year before we ever got to a place of physical intimacy. And it wasn't, that wasn't intentional. Him and I had no desires for each other physically or any of that, but it was, it was also a a test of like control versus flowing. When we, I think maybe eight months or so into getting to know each other, we toyed with this idea of like, Oh, we should date. And it was like the minute we both said, Oh, we're dating you started to see where both of us wanted to control. Like mm. he was like, we're dating. And I was like, what we're dating? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and, then we're, you know, and then because I reacted that way, then he kind of said like, let me go do my own thing because she's not ready. So is this, we, we're both trying to like nudge and pull the person the way we wanted them to. And when we came and but realized we enjoyed each other as just, each other's energy and company and we had a conversation where we said which I also think is goes against everything everybody else said but we actually said let's flow like Mm -hmm. let's just flow but with certain standards in place like we want to get to know each other we uh we're gonna monogamously date so I'm not gonna date any other people you're not gonna date any other people and we'll just flow and see what happens and ever since we did that this is my first like committed very <laughs> ugly, very triggering relationship <laughs> that I've, I've been in um but it, it's beautiful but it's hard it's very it's a lot of work I don't think he he's a light wise soul and I feel very safe with him but my body doesn't 
it's a whole other conversation, but my, I'm still learning where like my nervous system hasn't acclimated to the safety. My something in my mind, again, maybe the subconscious is like fearing trauma is going to come. You know, like it's like waiting for something. Yeah. For the next shoe to drop. Exactly. Um, And I've never experienced any of these feelings before because I think I thought, okay, well, we're together. There's loyalty. We spend so much time together. We're on the same wavelength. Like it should just flow seamlessly and comfortably. But with the rise of pandemic and you're facing anxiety and isolation in that, and then I'm now in a new committed relationship. And when does the, the other shoe drop? And then I don't have a secure income. All of these things have like put my body in like stress mode mm-hmm. and like fear And ultimately what I shared earlier about the values is like recognizing that like everything I've done in the last year has been out of survival and not creation and some senses of love, but not like that full on, like, you know, like I'm just walking in my purpose because it's just been so full of fear. And even in the relationship, I'm grateful for how much grace he's given me, but um, I know that I, I haven't shown up as like my best, most loving self. And mm-hmm. he's been accepting of that right now. <laughs> but but, um, but it, it also just adds another layer of like, there's more work. Like I want to do more work. I want to like, um, I want to be good for myself. I want to be good for God. I want to be good for him. That's probably yeah. not the right language, but you know, like I just want to show up in the best way for the people I care about. Yeah. There's so much, like I have goosebumps right now. There's so much that you said that I want to unpack. Okay. Um, <laughs> and there's so much beauty in, in everything that you've just said. And even in, I, so I don't know, I feel like this podcast is like talk therapy, both for me yeah. and the guest, because you're hearing yourself process yeah. your feelings and your emotions. And it's like, yeah, it's so interesting. So, okay, may, maybe I'll try to go in order of how you said things so I don't confuse yeah. my my ADD brain. Okay, so you talked about your parents and them like still being together, but back then it felt like toxic relationship and you felt like everything happened because of you. So there's a doc- uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera, I think her name is. Um, she's like a holistic psychotherapist that I had started following on Instagram, then Twitter, then read her book. I think it's called Heal Thyself. Ooh. And yeah, it, it's it's gotten, I don't know, everything she posts just hits the right spot for me. So when you're talking about, you know, feeling like things were because of you and then you left and it planted a different seed. So, okay. So one thing I learned from her is like our development age is different from our actual age. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when you talked about the things happening, I guess you felt like everything was your fault. That's like our um, egocentric age. I don't know. I think it's like birth to six years or something like that. Right. But then you also talked about, not even intentionally, but your parents having this toxic relationship. So when we're living in constant trauma, it affects our ability to emotionally develop. Right. Right. So then when you started talking about your um, purpose and how your passion and purpose were good, but then you kept ending up in these toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. Like I want to unpack what you said, but I don't want to make it seem like I'm diagnosing or anything, but I'm just like putting together 
Yeah, um, you're like, you're <laughs> no, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and myself included, like the childhood wounds and childhood traumas that we experience show up in the relationships that we attract right. as we get older, right? Yeah. So, you know, you ending up in those relationships, it wasn't your fault. It was just your conditioning, your paradigm around relationships. It's basically right. not seeing that healthy relationship, right? right? But then I, now you... I've always said that, like, so you grow up in this intense home and then... Because who I would date would be these people that I felt like butterflies, like this intense feeling for. Never chose the peace. And it, it it's just that familiarity of chaos and this, like, choosing people that I was either... I would be codependent with. I wanted to... I didn't know consciously I wanted to fix, but I was trying to fix some element or related to their trauma story, all of that stuff. And then so, and like having to like see past that and choose something different, which is what was interesting about this relationship now, because he and I didn't have like a fall in love type of intense story type of thing, which made both of us question a little bit in the beginning beginning like okay what are we doing like is it like is this love because we're so like used to the foolishness like the game Mm -hmm. or whatever that happens and this is like so peaceful and it's like a bond and a friendship and it's it's just happening naturally and so choosing that over like the next dude over here who might just like make you feel that intensity again but create all the chaos later on yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you because I used to choose the same and my present relationship similar to yours is one where I feel at peace and safe. And it's like, I had to learn that those butterflies that you feel in the beginning. So our body processes excitement and anxiety is the same thing. Like I have to remind myself this when I have speaking engagements, like when I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm anxious to go on stage. Maybe it's excitement because your body, the, the physical feeling is exactly the same. Right. So those butterflies that we feel because of our previous conditioning, it's our nervous system acting up. Sometimes it's a warning sign and we're not even looking at it that way. Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so right. now that you're in a relationship where things are different from what you're used to, you now have to reprogram your mind mentally and your body physically, your nervous system from what you were used to. So yeah. even though it's a healthy relationship, it's a huge adjustment. There's yeah. still going to be triggers. There's still going to be all these things because you, you're now having to recondition and develop this understanding of this healthy relationship versus what we knew, right? Right. Yep. So I, I pulled up this book. I'm all over Joe Dispenza right now. I love his work. I oh, read that book too. <laughs> I'm all like, my girlfriend introduced me just like, I've been into the manifesting and all that stuff, but I wouldn't say I was like a, like a big meditator. And um, she introduced me to this just a few weeks. And I feel like I'm almost rushing. Like, I'm like, I got to, like, figure this out now. <laughs> like, like, fix my subconscious mind now. <laughs> so, what, what I love about um, Dr. Joe Dispenza is his combination of spirituality and science. Because yeah. a lot of, a lot of uh, I guess, therapy and um, psychology and, and science they always need proof and things like that for all of their theories. So he's been able to combine the spiritual world and manifestation and prayer and your, you know, the energy of things 
and give the proof from science to, to blend the two worlds. Yeah. So yeah, I love his stuff. <laughs> Me too. I'm into it. And it's, yeah, it's, I just, I think like when we talk about intention or goals over the next year, it's like, I just don't want to be the same. Mm-hmm. I want new and I know, I don't know what the new will look like. It could be in career, home, trap, whatever. But I know that I need to be renewed mm-hmm. personally. And something isn't like operating completely correctly, like in my mind. <laughs> I don't, mm-hmm. you know, like I know that I show up a certain way to many people. Um, I know that I could speak love into people and, and foster um connection and you know we see each other in our stories and stuff but when I'm at home in the relationship or in any of my relationships um I don't want to continue to feel that there's like some underlying fear Mm -hmm. like I want I I want new in that way I want and even with like money and job and stuff I don't want to feel fear in those places I want to feel full and abundant I think a lot of times we'll just slap the affirmations on things like I'm abundant I'm wealthy I'm loving but it's like yeah I can say that over and over but I'm not am I feeling it like do I really believe in it do I trust it yeah yeah and I I think that's the the piece that people sometimes miss because social media, you'll see affirmations everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And in order for the affirmation to actually work, it requires belief. And our subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. So with affirmations, the importance is the repetition of it, because you're basically convincing your subconscious that that is true. So you eventually start to believe it. But some people are so far removed from what it is that they're saying that it's hard for them to come to that place of belief. So I had a guest on, uh, she was on last year and she gave this tip on affirmations for people who have a very hard time with believing what it is they're saying, where instead of saying I am abundant or whatever it is that they're, they're looking to manifest, say I am on my way to becoming. Mm. So then it helps get you closer to that belief than the distance between what you're saying and what you actually believe. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I like that. It's a good starting point. Okay. Um, I would love for the women who are listening, if we could talk more about, um, so you mentioned, you know, some of the struggles with now being in a healthy relationship after having so many toxic ones, Mm -hmm. because some people may have this assumption that, you know, once you get into a healthy relationship, everything is all like roses and candy, but there comes challenges not only within yourself as a person but also that relationship because of the conditioning right um I guess if you could share some of your struggles and any advice that you have for the women listening I think the first I think the premise of all of them is control so when you come out of whatever the toxic experience is or the trauma whatever we naturally move into that survival mode and that space of wanting to control. So the more pieces that are structured, the more pieces you can put into play and navigate, the more in control you feel. And you, we try, I think a lot of us try to operate that same way in relationships. So we want to know, um, so control pieces are like wanting to know where he is, what he's doing, who he's around at all given times, for example, versus, and if we know those things, then I can trust the person versus just, just trusting the person, (laughs) just making the choice to trust. 
I don't necessarily operate from that. I'm not at that. I wouldn't say extreme, but I'm not at that place where I need to clock your every move. But I did. I do find that um, when certain patterns are built in a relationship, I get used to that pattern. And then if it changes, it shakes me up. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I'm seeing you five days a week, and then all of a sudden, I only see you once next, you know, let's say it's a few weeks, and I'm seeing you five days a week over and over. And then all of a sudden, without knowing, I don't see you for a week, that will make me be like, I want to look at your Instagram, like, who are you talking to? Or like, what are you doing? Or I'm called like, there's like a fear that sets in because I'm like, what changed? Who's mm-hmm. he with? Whereas, you know, so the change in the pattern is what tri- tends to trigger me. And then I find when I'm triggered, that's when the control pieces come in. I'm like, all right, what do you do? And then I, I'm deciding, do I want to keep talking to you? Do I not? <laughs> what gotcha. I find too is like my default before my default was I would not leave a relationship. And now my default after being single and having experienced all the toxicity is my first thought is I, maybe we should end like that, especially our first year, like anytime there would be conflict, which we don't conflict a lot at all. Like, honestly, maybe once a quarter or six months and it's something stupid that would spark something bigger. But my immediate thought in conflict is maybe we shouldn't be together. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm frustrated by something, like if he was messy for a moment, I'm like, maybe we shouldn't be together. Like those are not logical, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's because my body doesn't want to deal with it. I don't want to do the work. And so I think the first point is uh, I'm the big thing is having to surrender and having to trust that like one of the things I've. I actually did this through hypnotherapy was I've always personalized cheating. Like every relationship I had before him, they've cheated. And I always figured they cheated because of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the therapist had said, she was like, you know, they betray themselves. And now I don't even, I notice my language. If a if a, a thought wants to cross my mind of potential unfaithfulness, immediately I fan it off as honestly, I don't care. Like God will show me. And if he shows me, they've betrayed themselves like it has. And so somehow I've depersonalized it, which I'm grateful for that. It would still hurt, of course. I would still cry. But before it was an anxiety of like, I need to get in front of it. I need Mm -hmm. to, you know, know who he's talking to, why he's talking. What am I not doing? Why he wants to like talk to this person. Now it's like, honestly, I can't be, if he wants to talk to people, that's on him. I can't be 20 places at once. But if he crosses the line, it again, it's on him. And I get to decide if I want to continue, you know, in that relationship or in that experience with him. So I think letting go of the things I can't control. Mm. Because I can't control what you do behind my back. I We have regular conversations about our intentions together. I think that's important for us to know that we're still on the same path. Yeah. And we're still walking the same like yellow brick road. Um, and sometimes, you know, he moves, he, for lack of a better word, has, I don't know what to say, less trauma. He's healthier. He's lighter, so to speak from the, in the relationship world. So he moves faster than me sometimes. Like he spoke of marriage and kids and stuff much sooner than I did, but he gave me grace to like come around to those ideas. It's not that I wouldn't think it, but I didn't believe it Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you already thought you believed it with all these other people. And so Mm -hmm. like, 
So he's he's given me grace in in that. Um, the other big thing that has allowed me to release some control is the idea of reason, season, lifetime. I think I've entered most relationships in my past expecting them all to be lifetime relationships. And I've taken that pressure off of me. Right now, him and I walk with intentions to have children, to build a family, to build a life. And I'll be like, it'll be wonderful. And I'll be grateful if that is what we do. But if it were to, God forbid, end this week, my I would know that what I got out of it to this point was how to commit again, how to love again, how to choose peace. Like there was so much I got already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then you have moments where like all you were to do was have kids with this person or all you were to do was marry this person. And I don't know if we're going to be like holding hands on our deathbed together. And I got to like let all that type of stuff go and just walk day by day we trust each other enough to make goals and plans with each other. And so we, we move in that direction, but I can't say what's gonna happen in seven years. Yeah. You know, so, or 10 years or whatever. So I get letting go of all of that. And if he wants to think about that, then that's, again, he can think about that. I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to tell him how he should plan or, you know, what moves he should make. But I do think I have to control myself emotionally too because when I'm triggered I want to lean the direction of mashing it up (laughs) you know let this thing mash up walk away and when I'm not triggered I want to lean into the direction of like why is he not doing more we need to move faster we need to like you know the plans need to happen now and it's like no like let it go Mm -hmm. I also think as women and black women and women who've gone through trauma we are assertive and controlling and in survival mode, but we want a man who leads. (laughs) And it's like, well, I got to let him lead. I have Mm -hmm. to fall. I have to plant seeds, be the neck and he be the head. I have to like, um, I have to trust him. And and so again, if all I got from this was an experience of learning to trust a partner, then I'm grateful for that. But through the trauma, I want to, I want to like be 10 steps ahead of if you might get angry and hit me or 10 steps ahead of if you meet someone and start getting chatty and build a relationship. And um, that stuff has driven me crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, because I definitely know that I have done a lot of that in the last year of trying to like control everything. And then it, it, it's, again, it's altered my values. Yeah. And I think, um, when if it's like work, for example, that you're lacking security in, if it's a relationship that you're lacking security in, you don't realize the habits and behaviors you pick up in that survival mode that then fall into all the other places. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You said so many things I want to highlight. Okay, so let's start with the control and being able to let go. I think it's great that you pointed that out because I feel like oftentimes as people in general we are trying to control others or control a situation when really we don't have any. We have, it, it's hard enough to control ourselves, much less somebody else, right? Yeah. So yeah. the more that we work on us and, you know, reflect and recognize our habits and our ways, then our environment and the people around us are affected by that. 
but we can't actually control the other people. So when you were talking, I was thinking about, I don't know if you've ever read the book. um, It's about adult attachment styles. I think it's called Attached. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. So I don't know if you've taken the the test or not, but like for those who are listening, there's um, different types of adult attachment styles. There's secure, there's um, anxious, there's avoidant, and then there's the ones that are like combinations. Right. Um, so when you were first talking about how you used to respond to stuff, I was hearing more like the anxious avoidant. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly. I was definitely anxious avoidant. Yeah, that's what I was hearing. Um, But it it sounds like you're coming to a place where you're becoming more secure as you work on yourself because you're learning to trust and you're learning, I guess, how your traumas have affected your behavior and interactions. So for people who are listening, you're you know your adult attachment styles stem from your childhood and your attachment with your caregivers or your parental figures or have you stuff like that and it affects our relationships as we get older and it I want I want to say it it hugely impacts us because it impacts our reactions in relationships you know like you said before if if you couldn't get a hold of him or certain things like our behavior you talked about communication which is hugely important in healthy relationships you guys having conversations about your intentions and where, you know, things are and what you want them to be. I think that's extremely important. I also wanted to highlight where you talked about the reason season or a lifetime Mm -hmm. for those who are listening that have no idea what that is. I actually wrote a whole chapter about this. I think in my, my first book about, you know, we meet people, whether it be for a reason season or lifetime, sometimes it's a reason. Maybe that person is supposed to connect you to you know, someone else who's supposed to help you get to that next level in your life or a job opportunity or whatever. Um, Sometimes it's the seasons, you know, whether that relationship was just for the season to help you learn what you needed to learn or or what have you. And then there are lifetime, which are typically, um, I find we may have friends that are lifetime friends or family members um, that are with us for life, no matter what the goods downs, uh, you know, the, they love you unconditionally. Yeah, you spoke to so many things I want to highlight. I feel like we could talk forever on this stuff. Because <laughs> there's so many similarities. Yeah. <laughs> um, but before I get carried away, uh, I would love if you could tell people where they can stay connected with you and learn more about you before we go to the final segment of the show. Okay. Best place to follow me is at my Instagram. It's Natasha L and my last name, Helwig, H-E-L-W-I-G. I, I'm quite accessible on there. And uh, you can email info at brokenheels.com. Heels is spelled H-E-A-L-S. Perfect. And I will definitely have those links in the detailed section of the episode so they can just click and connect with you. They don't have to search too far. Mm-hmm. And for the final segment of the show, it's where we share like rapid wisdom to the women who are listening so that they can honor, elevate and love herself. Sometimes I describe it like a rapid fire, but then I'm rebellious. I don't like rules, so it doesn't have to be rapid. (laughs) (laughs) You can choose to answer one word, one sentence, and I may ask you to unpack if I feel like being unruly. (laughs) Okay. Um, The first thing that's like popping into my 
mind today is just to give ourselves grace, like give yourself grace. I think that we, we, uh, you know, to, I guess to come full circle to what we spoke about in the beginning is uh, we get so wrapped up in the work that we actually become a little detached from it. And so just being able to like give ourselves grace through the process, sit still and really just allow ourselves to understand and embrace whatever we've learned about ourselves rather than quickly moving to the next thing that we need to, mm-hmm. we think we need to fix, you know, or, or heal. Yeah. Love it. Love it. You shared that you're reading Dr. Joe Dispenza's book. So mm-hmm. I would love to know what other book has greatly impacted you or changed your life. I have two. <laughs> They're both by the same author, Marianne Williamson, A Return to Love, and then her Law of Divine, like her book called The Law of Divine Compensation. Law of Divine Compensation is more focused on like how we show up in work and similarly that impact and income. And Return to Love is built out of A Course in Miracles, which I'm studying. Love it. Yeah. Okay. What's one thing you forgive yourself for? Not knowing. I think I put a lot of expectation that I should know things. Hmm know better you should know how to do this you should know how to do that you should know how to react to something or you know that your nervous system is shot or you're burnt out and so I'm forgiving myself for not knowing love it okay what new belief behavior or habit has improved your life in the last five years five years I think choosing aloneness sometimes I think much of my life I've wanted to, I grew up like as an only child in my home. I have siblings, but I didn't, I wasn't raised with them. So I grew up quiet and alone for a lot of times. And then the minute we started school and things like that, as a young person, I've always had friends around, people around. As you get to become an adult, I'd be going to every restaurant, every drink, every everything <laughs> um, to be like surrounded. And then I would do events and host people. And the last five years I've, been very intentional about my like alone time. Um, and I've realized that I like actually need to like reset my dopamine over like two days and get back to myself in aloneness. So that as well as advocating for that alone time, I'm still, I'm learning to like use my voice and say no a lot. Yeah. Love it. Love mm-hmm. it. Okay. And last but not least, uh, when and where are you the happiest? The happiest is always in salt water by a beach. <laughs> the sun. That's like the for sure, for sure prescription for happiness, but also in that present state. So I'm finding that I can like get to a present state if I do things like I take a walk or I have my camera that, yeah. Yeah. I'm also just quite happy. (laughs) I'm sure my boyfriend would probably disagree. um, When I'm just here, like just like here in my space by myself, I'm a generally happy person. I carry a lot of things that are not my own. And so I have to teach myself to put that down, put down other Mm. people's things. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you, Natasha, for sharing so transparently. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your truth and your wisdom. You know, this is this conversation is long overdue. We connected <laughs> years ago and we haven't had a proper yeah. conversation as yet. So I'm just grateful that you took the time 
to have this conversation with me today. I appreciate you. I appreciate your energy. I appreciate your light. Thank you. Thank you, Makiti. I'm a, I'm so appreciative of you. I'm glad that we got to share this space and for me to learn. I see I see more of like our mirrors now, and um, I I look up to you in a oh, wow. many different senses of the word. I do from just like the business standpoint and how I see you carry yourself and protect yourself. So I'm grateful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We we definitely have to stay connected. And like I said, before we even started recording, if there's any way that I could be of value to anything that you are doing, I would be happy to help serve you and your community. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> And to all of you healers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. I would love to hear what resonated from Natasha's story. What resonated with you? You know, let us know in a review or feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Natasha at Natasha Helwig. That's N-A-T-A-S-H-A-L-H-E-L-W-I-G. And you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. And I just want to thank each and every single one of you that continues to listen each week to help the show rank globally in the top 1.5% most popular shows out of almost 3 million podcasts in the world, which is mind blowing. (laughs) But uh, a healthy community is a healing community and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive and thrive. So let's continue to heal her.